What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. I want you to uh, turn to Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13. Um, We're going to be in Song of Songs, chapter 4, today, as we're going through this book um, a lot slower than I expected, Um, but I really sense the Holy Spirit's leading in this, just for me personally, because it's one thing to gain knowledge as you go through Bible verses. It's a whole other thing to live what you're reading. You know, I've told the story before about the men's group that got together and they were sitting around the table challenging one another. Hey, man, how many verses are you going to read this year? One guy's, or you're going to memorize this year. One guy's like 50. One guy's like 40. One guy's like, I'm going to memorize this book, right? The book of James. And, and there was a lot of high uh, expectations and challenges in that room and everybody was out of place. And then they get to the one guy and he says, I'm going to memorize seven verses. Room fell silent. Guys looked at him like, what a loser. But they didn't say that because they're Christians. But they were thinking that. This guy and a disciple. Just under the breath. You know, like sometimes those other Christians do, how they internally judge people but never say it out loud. And they said, hey, why only seven? He says, because I want to make sure I'm living all seven. To know and not to do is not to know. Let me say that again. To know and not to do is not to know. Dr. Tommy Kiedis gets the credit for that. A lot of people know a lot about the Bible, but doing the Bible is a whole different thing. And slower is better. Less is more. It's an upside-down kingdom we're in. With that being said, let's look at Matthew 13, 24. This is a parable that Jesus put forth, and the reason why I'm coming to the New Testament, then we're going to go back to the Old Testament, is because in two weeks we have been in two different parables because I really, really want you, and really not me, The Lord wants us to understand that we are his garden. We're his garden. Last week we studied the parable of the the vineyard, right? The vineyard where, where there was a vineyard, the tower was built, the wine press was built, they planted things, they leased it out, he came back and they killed him because he wanted something from the vineyard. And so we see that parable representing something. Here, Jesus is giving another parable, Matthew 13, 24. He says, he put another parable before him, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And so as we walk in the kingdom of God, we are sowing good seed. Fathers, your homes are a place where you sow good seed. But here's what happened, verse 25. But while his men were sleeping... His, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. As disciples, if we are not aware that our battle is not against flesh and blood, if we are not aware that there is an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour, if we are not aware with what Jesus said, I've come to give life and life abundantly, but there's an enemy, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. If you do not walk aware and on guard and you walk sleeping, there will be an enemy that comes and plants things in the garden, in your field, in your home, and in your what? Church. In your church. In your church. This is important. And as we get into church hurt, people, under, people don't know why there's church hurt all the time. Why can't the church just get stuff together? Why can't the church just get right? Well, look in the mirror and ask yourself that. Because I got to. 
You know why? Because the enemy, he sows weeds in the church. And what's Jesus say to do? So when the plants came up, verse 26, and they bore grain, the weeds also appeared also. So in every church that grows, weeds are going to spring up within the church. Whenever there is a move of God, where God is pouring out his spirit and revival is happening, there will always be a counterfeit move of God to discredit the move of God. Always. Don't ever think we're something special where the enemy can't get in. No, the enemy's in. The enemy's in today, right here, right now, in this sanctuary with some weeds. Doesn't surprise, doesn't fear, but it's just the reality of. Verse 27, and the servants of the master of the house came in and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Wheat and tares or weeds, look the same in the beginning. But when wheat matures, it's full and it bends over. Tears, they'll never bend over. Pride never bends over. Mature wheat bends over because of the weight of the glory that's on their life. How can you tell a wheat from a tear? When you encounter someone, me, 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 sucking the air out of the room. And never seeing a life where it's not about me. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How can I serve you? What can I give? Not what can I get? Wheat tares. They're in the church today, in our church, in our little flock. And if you're a tear, I'd just like to welcome you. I'd like to welcome you to bow down. to King Jesus, and surrender your life. There's a lot of people that believe they're saved. But there should be an evidence in your life that you're truly born again. You're not Saved by your works, lest anyone should boast. You're saved by faith through grace. But if you are truly saved, if you're truly saved, there should be certain fruit on your tree. And so my job is to push back on the church to say, wow, do, do I ever bow down to anything, or is this all about me, this life? Or am I someone that is full of fruit and bent over in humility, where this life isn't about me, it's about others? Am I consumed? This is what I tell young ladies who, a lot of times at a, at a Christian university, I got this, I met this guy He's a Christian, and he goes to this church. And then I say, well, where is he serving? 
Well, he, he doesn't really have time to serve because he's in, he's in college. Oh, okay, yeah, single college life is a lot busier than work and family and... And so I want to see a man bent over and dead now that's pouring their self out for the kingdom and the king spending himself. I'm reading the autobiography of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, my goodness. You read some of these biographies, man. Hudson Taylor. This guy was called to China, and he, 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 he learned Chinese... From, from, from memorizing it, he, would, he quit eating regular stuff. He just started eating a, a little rice and a little milk. No butter, right? Because he wanted to get himself ready. He got rid of his bed and he started sleeping on the ground to prepare himself to be a missionary for China. This guy was dead to himself. Anyway, happy Father's Day. Let's move to... Let's move over to, 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 to Song of Songs. Dads, there's a couple reasons why I went there. The enemy's going to try to sow weeds in your, in your home, in your field. You've got to keep watch. You can't, you can't sleep on things. I've slept on some things, guys. I've slept on some things. As a dad, we can't do that. We've got to be on guard to, to, to take the role of father seriously over our house. And we're called also to sow good seed. Meaning, what are you declaring over your children? Um, what, what, what are they reading? What are they listening to? I never allowed my children to listen to secular music because that's not good seed. You allow your kids to listen to that ratchety garbage that's talking about killing, murder, and having sex all the time? You allow that seed to be sown? Guess what Proverbs says? You hang out with an angry man, you'll become like him. And we wonder why these kids are growing up angry. Because so a man thinketh, so is he. Be careful of the seed being sown into your children. So the other reason, we're back in the garden again. We're back in the garden again. That's why we went to that parable, because I, I want you to see that, 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 that field that was there, the field with the vineyard from last week, and, and here's a field as well. This is a garden, and so let's pick it up in 12 again. It says a garden is a garden locked, and you want to highlight locked is my sister, my bride. So the question for us is, what was this land before it became a garden? Think about that for a second. For me, my land before I came a garden was a, a field of refuge, refuse, uh, a trash heap, uh, a garbage dump. That was my life before I became a garden. And some of us are way better than me. You've been that guy that pulls yourself up by your bootstraps and you were really successful and everything was performance-based and you had the accolades of the world. And so your field, before it became a garden, was known for producing every year corn, every year corn, every year corn. But God wants to take your field, which was built out of performance, and he wants to say, hey, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is the garden. The kingdom's the garden. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What was the condition of the field before the king made it the garden? Was there weeds and rocks and different things that needed to be removed? And we say, yes, yes, yes. In fact, Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been transferred. We are now declared the king's garden, his private 
paradise. He has purchased us with his precious blood. And again, the purpose of the king's garden is to provide a place of pleasure, solitude, and rest for the king. For the king. And the king would go to his garden for the purpose of enjoyment. The purpose of the king's garden was not to grow crops and raise livestock. A king's garden was costly and it took a lot of time to cultivate. And its fragrances made him very proud. His garden was something he showed to his friends with great joy and delight. When we get into chapter 8, what's declared over her, it's her, her companions are listening for her voice. The garden's so beautiful. Hey, come and look. Come and see what I've cultivated. Keep in mind as well, it's a locked garden. So who has the key? I've failed so many times in my life trying to find the right one. Some of you singles need to listen. When I said, you know what? I'm your garden, you have the lock, and you have the key to the lock, right? Uh, Book of Revelation, he has keys to unlock things that he can unlock and to open doors that no one can shut, like he has the keys. And so I said, you know what, Lord, I'm done trying to pick them out. You have the keys, you have the lock, it's all yours, it's your decision, I'm your garden, I wait on you to come. And just like you did to Adam, where he was sleeping and you brought him a bad chick, I want you to do the same for me, because I'm your garden. Adam was in the garden. It is the kingdom God brings when I'm ready. You got the keys. I relinquish and I release control of that area, and I'm going to trust you. I believe in you. I don't want to lean on my own understanding anymore because that's futile and folly, but I want to trust you with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, meaning my wife, I want to acknowledge you, trusting that you're going to make my path straight. So you have the key. You have the lock. I'm your garden. I wait for what you have for me. And again, that's why I have the queen, Colleen. Because I didn't do it on my own. I allowed him to do it in his timing when he was ready. Again, I was like, oh, for 30. But guess what? Christian, you only need to get one right. Let's look at verse 12. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. We're going to come back to that. Verse 13, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with its choicest, which means precious things, excellent things, and fruits. Above fruits, you could put Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Why? Why put that there? Because in this list here, there are nine things, but in Galatians 5, 22, and 23, there are nine things that describe the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These nine fruits of the Spirit, I believe, are listed that the king has placed in his garden. I don't think that's an accident that nine things are listed here. I believe there's a correlation. Why? Because we're the king's garden. That's what he's planted in us. Fourteen, nard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, aloes, with all its choice. And again, that's rosh. Rosh in Hebrew, that means the finest, the head, the top, the chief. Say, I'm the finest. Say, I'm the head. Say, I'm the top. Say, I'm the chief. Yes, you are. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And the outcome of a life that's found in the Holy Spirit is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's in you, Christian. If that's not in you, then you're not saved. You're not born again. 
because the Holy Spirit brings that when he comes. Verse 15, a garden fountain, a well of living water. I want you to highlight well of living water. And flowing streams from Lebanon. Now, I want you as, you, as you look at 15, a well of living water in a garden fountain. This represents the interior of the garden, coming from the inside. When you look at the flowing streams from Lebanon, Lebanon is not in the garden, so there's a flow coming from the outside. Do you see that there? There's an inside, interior, spring up a well, but also there's a flow that's coming, a stream that's coming, a river that's coming from an outside. Why is this important? Because a well and a fountain, they come from underneath the surface. They come from underneath the surface. I want you to look at verse 12 here. It says, a spring locked, and again, a spring is coming up from a fountain sealed. I want you to highlight that word sealed. Why? Thanks for asking. Turn to Ephesians 1.13, please. This is really, really important because there's a lot of confusion about this in the body of Christ. And today, today, I'm praying that God clears up the confusion, that he breaks off the religious spirit that's at work at times in the church. Why are you so serious? And that we would begin to move in a way that's different with an expectation and a hope. So we look at Ephesians 13, it says... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So those who've received the gospel, listen, you were sealed, and you need to highlight that, sealed with what? The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. So you're sealed with a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when you become born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you are sealed. In the original language, this is a picture of a king who had this ring with a specific seal on it, and he would take a important document that he wanted to send, and what he would do is he'd roll that up, he would melt wax over over the edge of the paper on the document and he would put his ring on that document and then he would send it. If that letter was sent and the seal was broken, the messenger would die. The messenger would be killed. You will not, cannot break the seal of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are sealed. We do not believe here that you can lose your salvation, but we will say you may never have had it in the first place. Why? Because you're saved by grace through faith, not of your works. So if you can't get it because of your works, you can't lose it because of your works. Because that's work-based theology. We don't teach that here. Now, I know people are going to Hebrews 6 and all this, right? Come see me. We'll talk about it. Okay, come see me, we'll talk about it. We're saved by grace through faith. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, you are sealed. So, I want you to turn over to Ephesians 4.30. In context of Song of Songs 4, verse 12... A public fountain that was not sealed was defiled. In fact, Numbers 19.15 says this, Every open vessel that has no cover fastened on it is unclean. It's unclean. And so here we see in Ephesians 1.13 that we have been sealed. And look at Ephesians 4.30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of what? Redemption, or you're sealed until the day you sin and you lose the Holy Spirit. Does it say that? 
Now it says sealed until the day of redemption. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. You can't get it by works, you can't lose it by works. This is the difference, guys, between the Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant, and the New Testament. This is where the confusion comes in, and when there's confusion, the enemy can come in. And so we want to just pray off any confusion right now, because God is not the God of confusion. He's not the God of confusion. So we, we pray against that in the name of Jesus. Go, and we ask now for clarity. Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is in us. He has sealed us. When I was a little kid, I asked Jesus into my heart. I was baptized. I got into pornography, drugs, and tried to run away from God. I remember being in Club Boca back in the day, and I was high on something. I can't even remember what it was. And this guy in front of me said, Jesus effing Christ. When I heard that, a little voice came in my head. He's not real. And in my spirit, in my head, yes, he is real, and I believe in him. While you're on drugs, while you don't want God in your life, Sealed. Sealed. I would also go, while I was clubbing, to talk to the tarot card readers. And by the way, don't do that. That's demonic. But here I am, drunk or high on drugs, and I'd always be drawn to them. Why? You know what I'd say? Hey, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. Get away from me. I don't want to talk about that name. Ooh, why not? And I would have a mocking kind of, while I'm drunk and high, I got story after story. One time I was in this other club called The Dark Side that opened at 5 a.m. high on drugs, trying to meet a lady. And as I'm talking to her, wanting to, you know, she starts telling me her story. Abuse, neglect, abandonment suffering, and all of a sudden I, this well, you need to go to church. Jesus is the only one that can save you. Completely on drugs. Completely not wanting Jesus in my life. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives where? In me. 1 John 4.4 says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome him for he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. He who's in you. It's New Testament. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's this mystery? That it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want you to turn to John 7, 37, please. So when someone is born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of them and they are sealed. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can try to leave him or forsake him, but if you're sealed, it ain't going to happen. He'll lead the 99 and go after the one. It's that song back in the day. You can run and you can hide, but I'm going to find you. And I'm going to make you want me. Listen, that's the Holy Ghost coming on a corrupt life. And he will not give up because you belong to him. You are healed. Sealed and healed. Sorry for ruining that song for some people, but anyway. There's other things that came inside and got sealed. Anyway. John 7, 37. This is Jesus. 
On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of what? Living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, capital S, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit, capital S, has not, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so again, if we look at verse 12 and verse 15 of Song of Songs, it is saying that there is a garden fountain sealed, a spring locked, a well of living water. And in the New Testament, Jesus promises that those who would believe in him, that there would be rivers that would gush out of us. In my immaturity, I go into meetings sometimes nervous about what to say. And oh, I wish I could live John 7. And say, God, I'm just expecting a mighty river to gush out when I open my mouth. Because you promised. Because you promised. Because you promised. And your spirit is within me. Listen, if we got that, we would never go into a meeting nervous again. We would walk in. Hey, river's about to flow. Come on. We would walk in just expecting the river of God to gush out of us when we open up our mouth. That would be called maturity, by the way. Let's look at the second part of verse 15. Song of Songs 4, please. It says, a garden fountain, a well of living water. Again, those are interior. And now the exterior, flowing streams from Lebanon. From Lebanon. That's not coming from the garden now. So this is a, this is a, it's two different things. So, This is the exterior. Lebanon was a high mountain, and so this water supply comes from on high. This is the grace of God, of the Holy Spirit being poured out, that makes the church fruitful as it comes upon us from the Lord Jesus and not from ourselves. Just jot this down and put it over Lebanon, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 22, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There is a, there's a definite, outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that comes from on high from Lebanon, that's coming from the throne room of God upon us. And so I want you just to kind of look and listen here for a second. There's two things that we have to, that we have to understand. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out from on high. That's what we call a visitation culture, where God visited his people. Case in point, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So God sent his spirit. It was talking about the first king of Israel. Samuel was prophesying. Samuel prophesied over Saul. And it says that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you and you will become a different man. That's a visitation culture. Do we remember though what happened to Saul? God removed his spirit from Saul. And then God, and then God brought David who God poured his spirit on David to begin to worship, and the demonic spirit that came upon Saul would go away. So that is a visitation culture. We even see it with Samuel. Judges 15, let me read it to you. 
The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And he broke the bonds. So the Spirit, Samuel wasn't, I think the, the, the pictures got it wrong. Like he wasn't this big, juiced up dude, right? I believe he was probably like a little dude. And when the Holy Spirit came, God got more glory because of the visitation, the visitation, the visitation. What happened when he sinned? God took his spirit. What did he ask for? God, will you fill me again? And when his eyes were cut off and then he did things, why? Because the Holy Spirit came back on him. This is why David in Psalm 51 says this, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because nobody in the Old Testament was sealed with the Holy Spirit. Nobody in the Old Testament had been born again. It was a visitation culture where God poured his spirit out. Does that make sense? Here's where the confusion comes in. We are New Testament believers so not only do we have a visit, a habitation culture where the Holy Spirit has sealed us, we also get a visitation culture when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. Meaning, I can grieve the Holy Spirit, but he will never leave me or forsake me. But then there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that falls upon his people. It is a double whammy. It's a both and. Old Testament, just visitation, no, no ceiling. New Testament, we're sealed, habitation, but also visitation comes. Does that make sense? Okay. Again, let's turn to 1 Peter Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Here we see a visitation. That happens. We, 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 this is a verse. How many of you want God's spirit to rest on you today? Then make 1 Peter 4.14 your life verse, okay? It says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit, capital S, of glory and of God rests upon you. See, most of us are not going to make that our life verse. Can't I get the Spirit another way? Yeah, you can. Because God is good. But this is one way. This is one way to get it. That as we walk in Christ and we're led by the Spirit. Listen, Jesus said if they called, the, if they called me Beelzebub, how much more will they malign you? In Matthew chapter 5, he says, when they speak evil of you, you rejoice and be glad. And so this is going to happen. I want us to turn to Acts 1.8, please. I want us to really understand this visitation culture, this move of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do. He wants to pour out his spirit. When you look at Jesus's life, I've said this before, Jesus was born, born again. We were born and our spirits were cut off from God because we were born of the first Adam, but Jesus is the second Adam. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived. So Jesus, he was born without any sin, and his spirit was born, born again, meaning it was connected to God. When we put our faith in Christ, our spirits that are cut off from God, they become regenerated and born again, and now we have union with God because we're born again, but that didn't happen to Jesus. He was always connected to God. Well, then what happened at the baptism? He goes under the water, and what falls upon him like a dove? The Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Holy Spirit was in him. Yes, it was, but it's also visitation. 
Jesus walked with both. It's a both and. And so this, this is where the confusion just goes away. Christian, do you want to be like Jesus? Then say, God, pour out your spirit in me. I thank you that I'm sealed with the Holy Ghost, that, I'm, that, that, that you're never going to leave me or forsake me. But man, I would love a visitation today. I would love more of your spirit being poured out. Look at Acts 1.8. Let's just run through the book of Acts real quick, okay? It says, but you will receive power, and that, by the way, is dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and that means martyr, by the way. It doesn't mean just sharing the gospel. It means a dead man walking in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. So here's these people that... They were, they were filled, Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them. Spirit gave them? Yeah, visitation, gave them utterances. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will speak pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even the male servants and your female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy so the visitation visitation let's go to Acts chapter 4 verse 8 now again Peter was already saved he was already born again so what happened it says then Peter filled with the holy spirit there was a fresh visitation there was a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and he began to speak. Go down to Acts 4.31. It said, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were proclaiming God. Why? Because they were filled. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It was as if he was glowing. I need a visitation from batteries. <laughs> and they say, hold on. So we are, we are not going to. Out with the old and with the new. All right, so here we go. This is, this is, this is what's happening. He's, his face is glowing. This is, by the way, remember what we read when I started? 1 Peter 4.14, what's it say? When you're under persecution, when you're being revivaled, the Holy Spirit's gonna pour, pour himself out on you and Stephen glowed with the glory of God, the face of an angel, scripture says in another place. The Holy Spirit was poured out on him while he was being stoned to death. Let's go to Acts 8, 14. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So here we have another example of people believing in Jesus, but yet the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers in Jesus. Double anointing. Acts chapter 9, 17. Ananias departed and entered the house, laying hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And this is where we're gonna end in the book of Acts. Why? Because guys were called to be like Jesus. 
I want you to understand something to understand this verse. You have to understand Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus emptied himself and he took on the form of man. So he was fully God and he was fully man when he walked this earth. But he emptied himself of some of the attributes of God. For example, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Was Jesus everywhere? No. He only went 300 miles from where he was born. So he emptied himself. When they asked him when he was going to come back, he says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. Well, Jesus is God. He knows everything, but he emptied himself of that to walk in dependence on the Holy Spirit's leading Because he's our example. Jesus wasn't doing things because he was God. He was doing things because he was fully man and and fully God. But he said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. I don't do anything unless the Father's doing it. It's really, really important because I'm tired of Christians saying, oh, that was Jesus. No, he told us how to walk. He showed us how to live. He's our example. And that's why 1 John 2, 6 says, if anyone claims to be in Christ, he must walk as Jesus walked. Well, how do we walk like Jesus walks? Again, thanks for asking. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus had the Holy Spirit in him, but then God anointed him at his baptism with the Holy Spirit, and then he went into ministry. So it was a both and. It's Christianity, guys, it's a BOGO. Buy one, get one. Right? (laughs) You have the Holy Spirit? but also the visitation. I don't know if you want that. Hey, listen, look, my life this morning, I put on my Old Spice, but then I have got anointing oil right on on my, my thing next to my Old Spice. And I rub it down. Holy Spirit, baptize me afresh and anew today. Please come upon me. Please come upon me in a greater weight of your glory. Please take my tongue. Please speak through me. Spring up, oh well. It's a both hand. I want it all. I don't know about you, Christian. Do you want it all? And there's this big controversy over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There shouldn't be controversy. Listen, that's from the enemy. I want you to turn to Luke 11. When I said I'm finishing with Acts on Acts, Acts 10, 38, I didn't mean I was finishing, but I was just finishing with the book of Acts, okay? <laughs> this is why I need the Holy Spirit to help me explain, because we're going to go back to Song of Songs 4 because it's relevant. Luke eleven twelve. if then you who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's an important sentence. Why? Because unless you're born again, God is not your father. Think about that for a second. There's two, we're all God's creation, but according to Jesus in John chapter 8, He's saying to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. So there's there's children of the devil and there's children of God. And unless you're born again, you're not a child of God. And so Jesus is saying, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? If he's my heavenly father, that means I'm born again. And how much more does he want to give more of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? A big statement from Jesus. Let's go back to Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 16. You've got to be convinced that you're the garden of God. 
You've got to be convinced that there is a fountain, that, that rivers of living water, that's sealed. You're going you're gonna to bubble up with what God wants, but you also got to be convinced that there is a river from Lebanon. There is a river that God wants to pour out on your life. He wants to visit you in a mighty way. His spirit, he wants to pour it out upon you. We just read that in the book of Acts. We just read that in Luke 11. And look at how the response is. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, and blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. This is what God wants to do with us, his garden, the garden of God, that his Holy Spirit would blow upon us so that the fragrance of God, the fragrance of what he's planted would emanate throughout the world, would emanate throughout our city, would emanate throughout this church. Come and blow, blow, blow upon your garden, God. Blow upon your garden. I want you to understand something. The word wind and the word breathe are the same word in the Hebrew language. You might want to write that down. Wind and breathe are the same word in the Hebrew. I want you to turn to John 20, 22, please. We are so close to being done. Happy Father's Day. Jesus says in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born again. The wind of the Holy Spirit, right? Awake, awake, O north wind. Come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. And here you see John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus breathing on his disciples saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's where, okay, so now let's, let's back up and let's look at this. There's a lot of confusion around the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we've seen now three different ways it could come. We see persecution, Holy Spirit falls. We see uh, laying on hands in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls. We see Jesus blowing on his disciples. So this morning, I want you to turn to your neighbor and just blow on. I'm just kidding. Hey, don't do that, okay? Especially if you got coffee breath. There's nothing worse. Why do I make that joke? Because we've got to lighten up a little bit. There's religious services that the only way that you can receive the Holy Spirit is if you come forward and we're going to lay hands on you, and then the outcome of that is you're going to flop around like a fish once you hit the floor, and you're going to speak in tongues. We don't see that. We see the Holy Spirit falling upon Jesus at his baptism when he goes under the water. Did he flop around under the water? No. He was led into the wilderness to fast 40 days to be persecuted. How many people want that baptism of the Holy Spirit? Where for the next 40 days, you're not going to eat anything and you're going to go live in the Everglades. You want that one? Well, come forward this morning. I think I'd rather have somebody blow in my face, okay? I want that one. Chris, why are you kind of making light? Because I I pray the, the spirit of just religion is broken off the church. We like systems. It's why Jesus healed blind people different every time. He made a mud pie once. He made it he, every single time he healed different. Why? Because we want systems because systems allow us to do the work of God without God. Show me what to do and I'll do it. No, Christianity is dependence. And you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you're driving home in your car today, if you ask. In fact, Luke 11, he's not going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He's not going to give you a scorpion if you ask for a piece of bread. He wants to pour his spirit out. And here's the heart of a believer. Jesus, I saw the Holy Spirit come upon you at your baptism. I know you are born, born again. Whatever that is, I just want more of you. I just want more of you, God. So blow upon your garden. Not my garden. I'm your garden. Let the winds blow upon 
your garden, my garden, this, 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 this life is yours. You have the key. You hold the lock. You put things in me. And so, God, may the winds blow over my life so the fragrance can go, so that you would be glorified, not me. Her response in verse 16. Let my beloved come into what? His garden. Do you see the difference? It's his garden. It's his garden. You're his garden. He's purchased you with his blood. And then she's like, and eat its choicest fruits. Whatever you have is yours. There's no self in this statement. It's all about him. It's not what she could get out of this relationship. She's like, I am your garden. Come on in. Come on in. I'm yours. This is the dividing line of the book. We're in the middle of the book now. For four chapters, it was her garden. And now she's understanding that she is his inheritance. That everything she has is his. This is where we've got to be as God's people. My prayer for you is out of Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which, we is, which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You are glorious. You're a glorious garden for those who are in Christ today. He wants to have a, 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 a rivers of living water spring up out of you, John chapter 7, but he also wants to pour out his spirit upon you. He wants to flood you so that you walk around baptized or immersed in the presence of God, filled to the place where you are overflowing. Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil so my cup overflows. You are his garden. I wrote this prayer. I want to read it to you. And then if you want to pray it with me, feel free to do so. Jesus, I'm, I am your garden. If you feel like praying it, pray it. If you don't, then don't. Jesus, I am your garden. I agree with you. With what you declared in Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Today, I renounce any rights to this garden. I'm your garden. This isn't my garden. You have the rights to open and lock it. I am yours. I'm your garden. Remove anything that needs to be removed. I trust that you will grow and cultivate all of the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I am the King's garden. May you forever find pleasure in me. I am a garden locked for your pleasure. I am asking that you take the choicest fruit. It's all for you. My very best is all for you. I want to experience joy and delight as you enjoy me. Come into your garden. Help me to see myself as your garden. And help me to see my brothers and sisters the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place today. I pray, God, that you would just baptize us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit from the rivers on high. And I pray, God, that you would just come in like a flood. Come in like a flood in this place as we sing to you, 
as we rest in the reality that we are the garden of God now, that we belong to you, that our lives, they're not our own, but they're yours. And we thank you for this great salvation. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for who you are. We love you. Be glorified with our song. Father, we just want to say happy Father's Day again. You are so good to us. In fact, in John 15, 1, Jesus, you said that, that our Father is the gardener. The gardener. And so, again, we just give you rights to cultivate and bring out the life of Christ in our in our lives. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.